your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on International Business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Hello and welcome to the Culture Matters Podcast. We are on episode number 55. Uh, today's guest is Lisette Sutherland. Lisette is the director of CollaborationSuperpowers.com, a company that helps teams work together from anywhere. She's also a funder of Happy Mali, a company helping to globalize companies that are improving the lives of knowledge workers. With over 10 years experience with web-based collaboration tools and online community management, her goal is to get the the best people working together regardless of location and of course we talk about happy mali we talk about collaboration superpowers as well <clears throat> excuse me but we're also talking about a number of tools that virtual teams can actually use nowadays in terms of working together we also talk about virtual assistants working together so in other words we're having a peek into the future if you want when it comes to working globally let's go right to the interview it's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Lisette, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thanks. It's uh, it's good and bad. I, I oh. Like I told you before, I put water on my laptop, so I'm um, going to, after this call, I'm going to be going to the Apple Store and buying a new laptop, which is good. Just like that. Just, just only water, not even a sugary Coke or something. Not even anything interesting, just a glass of water, yeah. And it fried, <laughs> it fried your laptop. Immediately, immediately. So to, so to everybody out there, don't put any liquids next to your laptop. It was my number one rule, yeah. and I broke it. Yeah, so, and then yeah. and now we we talked we discussed this previously before actually hitting record. And again, you make me think, and I'm staring at the coffee which is on the, on my right hand uh, right hand side, and I think should I drink this or not? So you you brought you sort of delivered um, significant doubt in this one here. Yeah, just move it, move it as far away from the keyboard as you can get it. <laughs> I'll move <laughs> the keyboard advice. away for sure. And back everything up. I have everything backed up. Yeah, so that only, I do. It's as only well. time and uh, time and money. Yeah, that I do as well. All right, Lisa, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you come from? Uh, where are you now? And and what would be your cultural frame of reference? So I, I grew up in Germany. I was born and raised in Germany for the first 10 years of my life. Um, and then I moved to the U.S. for 25 years. So I, I consider myself, I guess my cultural frame of reference, I do consider myself an American. Mm -hmm. um, I now live in the Netherlands and have for the last seven years. Uh, and I don't plan on going back to the U.S. ever. Mm -hmm. I, there's no, there's no anti-U.S. sentiment. It's just uh, not in the plans. I just had no plans of going back. Right. So I am now in Nijmegen in the Netherlands. I split my time between Nijmegen and Delft, and uh, and I work from anywhere. Okay. Do you speak any Dutch? Yeah, in de dad. In de Yeah, I explain in Belgian Netherlands. Okay. Well, feel Mara. Yeah. <laughs> let's not let's not go down that route because that's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the the majority of the audience is actually from the United States. Like fifty percent, that is. I just had to show off a little, like yeah, know, that's good. <laughs> and and uh, um. Yeah, as you confuse me with all these languages here. So, no, let's continue this uh, this in English. So, you were born in Germany. Um, you lived 25 years in the United States, and um, now you're currently in the Netherlands. Your last name could possibly link you to the famous Sutherland. Any connection there? 
No, I wish. When I lived、mm. in Hollywood, I got asked almost every day if I was related to Kiefer or Donald. And the other famous Sutherland you might be referring to is Jeff Sutherland from the Agile world, which I'm also not related to. Okay. All right. So,、uh, but then still, your last name doesn't reveal you'd be German. That's true. I, yeah, I don't know where it's all, you know, Scottish or, or、uh, <laughs> English descent. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know where it went wrong, but yeah. <laughs> okay. But you, and then you would speak German as well. Yes, I, I, did, I did go to a German school. I was fluent in German. I haven't spoken in a long time. But what's、yeah. weird is when、yeah. I speak Dutch, I speak with a German accent.、Oh, Most、okay. people think I'm from Germany. So it's in there somewhere.、Yeah. And I understand it just fine, of course. Okay. So、um, just out of curiosity as well, and the,、uh, the cultural frame of reference, what brought you to the United States? And then why not go to Germany? Why pick the Netherlands to settle, well, for now, settle down? Uh, my father was in the military,、mm-hmm. so、uh, that's why we went to the United States. It was an assignment in Germany, an extra long assignment in Germany. Yeah.、Um, and then, so we went back to the US because he's American. Okay. And I moved to the Netherlands. That's actually kind of an interesting story. I, while in the United States, my favorite band in the whole wide world contacted me to go on tour with them in the United States to be their merchandiser. Okay. As we went around the US. And they're from the Netherlands, from Nijmegen, actually. Okay. So when they asked me to go on the European tour with them, I said, absolutely. Heck yeah, sign me up. So I,、uh, mm-hmm. I jumped over the pond and, and went on the European tour and thought, Nijmegen isn't exactly the,、uh, the hub of、uh, <laughs> cultural hub that, that I was used to in San Francisco and Hollywood. So the plan was just to have this as a home base for a little while and then go check out other places in Europe to see where I'd want to live.、Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, the company I was working for, which was an online project management tool, Uh, it went out of business overnight. So I found myself in Nijmegen thinking, well, it's not so bad here, and the cost、no. of living is pretty good here. And, and actually, I must say, ever since then, I have fallen in love with the town. I just love it here. Okay, so、um, some people could, re- could possibly relate to Amsterdam being the capital of the Netherlands, and、uh, Nijmegen being in the east of the country, I believe. Yes. Okay, okay. Very close to the German border. All right. Okay. So, and anything that's for, I'm, I'm, I was born and raised in Amsterdam, and anything outside of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the canals, if you want, that's, I would think you would need malaria pills already. <laughs> But that's apparently not true. So, what, what do you love so much about Nijmegen, which is a, how many people? 100,000 people live there or something? Yeah, 150,000 max. Yeah. I mean, it's barely just anything. Well, Uh, for one, I love my apartment. I have this small apartment that's near the center of town, but it's very quiet with an enclosed garden. So、uh-huh. it's just sort of my little, it's like a little treehouse in the middle of the city that I love. Yeah. And I'm a runner and,、uh, and a cyclist. So with Nijmegen, the, the scenery and people don't understand. I mean, we're next to a nature reserve that goes on for kilometers and kilometers. And so、right. as a runner and a cyclist, this is just a beautiful place to、uh-huh. train. Okay. It's interesting that you mentioned kilometers and not miles and miles. I'm、so. integrated. Okay, cool. As, as, as they say, as, well, I got this from a, from a friend of mine. He said it's、uh, any American that actually has been outside of the United States is an enlightened American.、Um, that's, not, that's not my quote. That's what he said, actually. That's funny. That's、uh, it's sort of true. It's sort of true. In a way, yes. Okay, well, let's, we just offended half of the audience here, which is yeah, not, not the purpose of this,、uh, of this podcast because we should be culturally competent.、So、let's talk about that a little bit more then.、Um, it's, and then get to your work situation as well, because what you, you work at Collaboration Superpowers and Happy Mally. And for me, that seems so remote. Tell us a little bit what, what each of them do and how do you link them together? Okay. 
<clears throat> so Happy Melly is, I'll start with Happy Melly because sure. Collaboration Superpowers fits into that. Yeah. Happy Melly is a global network of businesses that are all focused on the same purpose, which is to make people happier at work. Mm-hmm. And it's based on actually a billboard from Rotterdam that says Melly Shum hates her job. And that's all it says on the billboard. And it has a picture of a sad looking woman <laughs> um, hating her job. And that was the inspiration for Jurgen Apollo to create Happy Melly. Yeah. And it's, when I say it's a network of businesses. Uh, what I mean is, you know, my business collaboration superpowers is one of them. Management 3.0, which is Jurgen's business, is one of them. There's another one called Improvement 21. There's about 10 of us or 12 of us right now. And we've set up as just a group and we help each other business-wise. We give each other access to different markets around the world. So I've been to Brazil because of Happy Melly and I've been to Greece and Sweden and all these places because of the people that I've met through this network of Mm -hmm. businesses. Mm -hmm. So we're just there. We're all there to make people happier at work and to help each other become global. Okay. So that's how Happy Melly works. Collaboration Superpowers is my own business um, within Happy Melly. And what I do is I teach people how to work from anywhere. And I do that through workshops and my own podcast and um, lots of lots of uh, information out there. Okay, and and then what what is this what is this happiness thing? Explain this this um, because there are global happiness ratings, I think, and then um, they I think the Dutch are one of the happiest people in the world, although not the happiest. I think one Scandinavian country is is ranking higher. I personally live in, uh, currently in Belgium, which is less happy and more stressful. I think, but happiness is not culturally neutral, is it? What makes one person happy or one culture happy doesn't make the other culture happy. How do you do this? Yeah, happiness is well. I think you know the the statistics that we were we were running off of what which were was something like sixty percent of people worldwide actively hate their job. So it's not even a dislike of their job; they actively hate their job. So at best, you know, people are doing nothing mm-hmm. at work, mm-hmm. but at worst, they're actively um, obstructing or. Yeah, destructing the business. Yeah. And that's 60% of the global population. And to me and to the people that I work with, that just seems unacceptable hmm. that that we would hate our jobs given that there's so much choice now of yeah. what we can do. And also to, to train ourselves in other subjects. There's just so much choice out there. Why should we hate our jobs? So we're sort of on this mission of like, we don't have to hate our jobs. We can uh, we can do better. And so let's do that. So what what do you what do you do what do you you talk to people and you say um, do something different uh, or get out of here or do you talk to the organization or possibly management and then change the work atmosphere what do you do Different people do different things. So we have a lot of members and supporters in Happy Melly that are trying experiments in their own companies. Mm-hmm. So they'll take one of the things that they've learned from Jurgen, for in- for example, or maybe one of the things that they're learning from Collaboration Superpowers or their own experiment, and they'll try it in their organization. And then we have a private social network, just a Slack group, where we all talk about the experiments and what they can try. Can you give an and, example? Uh, let's see. Let me think off the top of my head. Uh, one company... Here's something really simple. So one company implemented kudo cards, which are these physical cards where you thank a colleague for something that they've done. And they're placed either, you can just place them in a kudo box, which is just a box um, where these cards go in, and then you open the box at the end of the week and you could read out the cards. Or some, you know, people post them publicly on a kudo wall, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. And it's a way of showing more appreciation in the workplace because in a lot of companies, that's missing. 
this uh, this appreciation thing. People don't say thank you very much, especially for the little stuff. Mm-hmm. And so one guy would uh, would implemented this kudo cards in an effort to see if it would affect the morale in his workplace, and it did. And where was that? Pe- I don't remember the name of the company. I could find out for you, but I don't. Oh, it's just it, just uh, uh, geographical. What culture, really? Oh, it was uh, it was in Belgium, in okay. fact. Yeah. Because the reason I'm asking here, Lisette, is this is uh, because I know uh, kudo kudo cards is like kudos, right? It's 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 a word. It's it's it is a word that in the English language sort of um, shows appreciation if somebody did something right. Exactly. Cur- like I correct? give you a kudo for for. Yeah. Making the coffee this morning, or something like that, or yeah, yeah stuff. Okay, um, the thing is, I I know from well from my cultural experience that uh, thank yous are also not culturally neutral, and that if you look at one cultural dimension, looking at the work of uh, of Professor Geert Hofstede, is is it's called masculinity, although it's a it's an unlucky name. It has nothing to do with gender differences. Uh, hence, it's, I think there's a better name, which is process versus goals, in a more uh, process oriented culture like the Netherlands and Scandinavian countries, a uh, an explicit thank you is seen as, as suspicious. While So, uh, hence, in other words, if I would say, if you would do- be Dutch and I would say, Lisette, that's really wonderful what you're doing with this company, etc. And I think there were more, I would I would like there are more people like you, etc. You would look at me like wonder, like, what's wrong with you? You don't, you don't give overt appreciation like that in the Netherlands, as I just did. While other countries, uh, like Belgium, for instance, are much more well, if you want in need, I'm doing air quotes here, of a, a, an explicit thank you. Is that something that you could, you could uh, verify or you could agree with? Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. In fact, I, I've had the experience of giving uh, very early on when I first moved to the Netherlands, I gave somebody a, just a very big you know, thank you, like, oh, you're a great guy, and oh, I really enjoyed it. And he was so embarrassed. Yeah. He was so embarrassed, and I had done it in public, and he was so embarrassed, and I just didn't realize. I mean, it didn't even occur to me. So, yes, this cultural awareness, it uh, it bites you everywhere. Yes. Okay, so so happiness, What what's it, with all respect, I mean, what's it to you? How Why do you care whether somebody else is happy in his, in his or her job? Isn't that the, 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 the individual's decision? Yeah, what I care about is I think that there's so much potential uh-huh. that we have, you know, as just people in this world to work together to do great things together. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I actually started Collaboration Superpowers was because 10 years ago I worked for a company building an online project management tool and the reason that the CEO was building the tool, I mean besides that it was useful and he could market it and make lots of money, but yeah. the subversive reason was that he actually wanted longevity scientists to get together and solve the problem of aging. He didn't want to die. And okay. he thought if he could just get the right people working together that we could actually solve this problem. And for me, it was an aha moment. I could mm-hmm. never look back. I just thought, oh, my gosh, he's right. If we get the right people working together, think of the things that we could do. So when I hear that 60% of the of the world actively hates the work that, are, that they're doing, I think, how much potential are we losing for solving important problems or just doing great things together? And so for me, it's sort of, I'm on a mission because I just think it could be better than yeah. than it is. I, I find it unacceptable that we have that 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 many people hate their jobs. I just find it unacceptable. So it's sort of my personal mission. But you're right; it's an individual choice. And I've come across a number of people who hate their jobs, and they seem to love hating their jobs. Exactly. Yeah. Some people yeah. just love to nag, 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 and they nag about everything, and 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 except to the people that can make a difference. 
I just I have a hard time believing that it's sixty yeah. percent of that. That just seems too high. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Maybe well, I'm I just know. too hopeful. I don't know. Yeah. I do share this 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 passion of of making the the work uh, the work floor, if you want, making that a better place for people to enjoy. Because I mean, we spend most of of the t- uh, our waking moments in uh, well in the office or in an office or working doing some something like that. Exactly. So very much appreciate that uh, that as well. My approach is somewhat different, looking more at the organizational culture and making that a better place um, in terms for people to work with and, and getting it clear what they what everybody's contributing to towards the goal of the organization, whatever that goal is. Right. And if everybody just took a little bit of responsibility for their piece of what they can affect, I just think we could do a lot mm-hmm. with very little effort. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that... Um, just looking at the the country list that you've lived in Germany, the United States, and the Netherlands, can, happiness is defined in in Germany how by by being everything having everything ordered. Ordered. I was going to say having everything organized. Organized square, <laughs> yes, in a box or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. I mean, you know, I lived there until I was ten years old as a child, so I don't. I, I still, you know, I don't know if I could speak for Germany. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it does seem like a, it's a very organized, engineered. The people that I work with from Germany, I'm being very very stereotypes now. But they are, you know, they arrive right on time. Yeah. Nothing is left. No detail is left unattended. You know, that's been my experience so yeah. far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, as as I and I'm going to offend the Germans now. It's a boring country to go to, but everything works. Yeah. I mean, so that's a compliment on the other side. Okay. <laughs> um, and then what would make an American happen, happy? Isn't it just money? Yeah, money or fame yeah. seems to be. I mean, fame. I mean, I, I lived in Hollywood for five years, and mm-hmm. that's really a fame-seeking city. You know, people are there to, to become famous. I, I think rich rich and famous is what I think about with the, with the Americans. Yeah. And how would you please, how would you make a Dutchman happy by, by closing the, sh- the, the shop and letting him go home? Having a good work-life balance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really, it, it, it struck me when I first moved to the Netherlands that people, they work hard and they also take a lot of time off. Yeah. Many people work three days a week, four days a week. And, you know, there's the fall vacations and the summer vacations. I, I just couldn't believe that. <laughs> July and August, everybody's on vacation. I know. I ju- just like what? They unplug. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, and it's so healthy. It's been it's such it's been such a good influence on me because I was I was really the stereotypical working all the time. You mm-hmm. know, more hours is better. Yeah. You know, oh, I only did seventy hours this week. I could do eighty next week. I mean, that was really. It was really a lesson learned when I moved here. I'm grateful for it. Okay. Well, yeah, that's that's good. I think you have to experience this kind of difference in order to um, maybe positively uh, appreciate it like that. Yeah, I agreed. And the more that I've traveled, the more that I it's really opened my eyes to, mm-hmm. wow, different parts of the world operate in very different ways, and it works. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. Um, collaborating superpowers. Getting back to that, what kind of tools? Because that this this talks about letting virtual teams work together, cooperate together, and virtually spread out um, across the globe. I would presume, right? Yes. Yes. What kind of tools do most people do? Do people use nowadays? Isn't it really simple? You have GoToMeeting, Skype, um, I don't know, I'm, tools I'm using myself, Trello, for instance, or Evernote, and we're done. No. Yeah, I'm, could I'm, be. I'm, I'm being a bit devil's advocate, Lisette here. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Don't worry, I can bring it on. I can do it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, 
Yeah, you know, for uh, for virtual teams, they're using a lot of tools, and I must say that technology has come a long way in the yeah. last five years. Yep. There are great video conferencing tools right now. My favorite is Zoom, uh-huh. Zoom.us. That's my absolute favorite video conferencing tool, and I don't get paid by by them for by, by the way for any of these tools. Uh-huh. If I if I promote them, I'm just a slavish fangirl naturally. But with Zoom, <laughs> you can get up to 50 people on a video call where you see everybody at the same time, and it just allows for great team conversation. Just great. And what's what's, um, what's uh, Google Hangouts? Is that not any good? Uh, Google Hangouts is fine. It's just that it's unreliable in my experience. Okay. You know, sometimes it works. Most of the time it works, but that 10, 15% of the time that it doesn't work, that's a big deal to me. Because uh-huh. if you're doing your oh, yeah. whole day via video conferencing, then I want it to work. And Zoom works every time. Okay, excellent. I'm having a, an interview next Monday, coming Monday. We're recording this on a Friday in January 2016. Coming Monday, I have my first Zoom interview um, or uh, using Zoom as a tool. So I'm curious how that works. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'd be curious what you think of it. Yeah. yeah. What else? What other tools are do you use globally that other cultures use as well? So for, for virtual teams, I recommend one, I recommend you have some sort of a video tool. So whether that's Zoom or Squiggle, which allows you to have group conversations or group work sessions, I would say, where you can mm-hmm. see each other. The other very important thing to have is some sort of a virtual water cooler. So you're in a group instant messaging system. The most popular one right now, the hippest kid on the block right now is Slack. Everybody's Slack. using Slack, but there's also HipChat and there's several others, but Slack seems to be the one that everybody's using. And why not Messenger? Mike, uh, Facebook's Messenger? Uh, it's just, it's more limited because if you have a team, say you have a team of 100 people mm-hmm. and you're using Facebook Messenger, then uh, it starts to get quickly very confusing. With Slack, you have different channels mm-hmm. and different people can subscribe to the channels that they're interested in. It's much more self-organized. Okay. So what, so what else? This is, so this is for chatting. Like a, the, you call this the water cooler. Yeah, this is for informal conversations as well as formal conversations, of course. But if you have you know teams that are in Finland, Poland, and India, for example, yeah. they have different time zones and different times that they're working. So that asynchronous conversation that they're able to have, that's really important. Okay. That they're not tied to one specific place. Yeah. And it also is great for team building because you have a place where you can post those cat pictures or the running group can get together and talk about you know, their training and how things are going. So it allows you to just break out into individual topics, which mm-hmm. is really important on a virtual team. Okay. Um, that, yeah, continue. I mean, what project management? What, what, what would you have for that? Lots of people use Trello. There's uh-huh. also, oh, there's a number of tours. I mean, there's, there's Basecamp and Zoho. And I mean, there, there might be a hundred different online project management tools yeah. out there that are there to use. Trello seems to be the most popular because it's so easy and mm-hmm. it's free. Yeah, of course. So, you know, much of these tools are free to use and then they have some sort of a pro plan if you want additional features on that. Yeah. Um, so that also makes the uptake of these tools very easy. But I think the most important thing with tools on virtual teams is that you keep the communication lightweight mm-hmm. and as simple as possible, because there's a lot of also digital, I'll call it digital illiteracy, though. I don't I don't quite like the term, but, yeah. you know, people aren't used to using all these tools. And it's hard for some people. It's harder for some people than others. So yeah. if you have part of the team that's really taking off and they're using stuff and the other part of the team is left behind, that's also an issue. Yeah. yeah so makes, keeping things really easy and lightweight. Makes sense. All these, the, the, Most of the tools, if not all of these tools you just mentioned, um, I've, I'm missing Evernote, by the way. I, I, I would reckon that would be part of it maybe. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. All these tools tend to be uh, U.S. Uh, inventions or American inventions. Do they work across the globe or do you find that there are cultural differences where uh, in the terms of accepting these kind of tools? You know, most of the things that I've seen, they work across the globe. But my number one tip for teams working virtually is to figure out what is normal behavior on your team yeah. and then figure out what tool would allow you to have that behavior. And the process that I take teams through is I call, I call it creating a team agreement. So it's basically a set of expectations that we all get together and decide how we're going to work together. And based on how we want to work together, then we choose the tool that allows us to work together in that way. So that's how I deal with, and each team should decide which tool they want to use. Okay. Which tools, which set of tools, I should say, because it's never just one. Nope. And then in in uh, I'm I'm trying to think of a country that makes it makes sense like that. Um, uh, say South Korea or something, just a far away corner of the uh, of of the earth, at least from this part. Is is are they are their cultures more reluctant to using technology when it comes to virtual teams? You know, there there are some cultures where the tool is simply not allowed by the government, so there's a blocking of you know, for example, I think Facebook in China. There's, and YouTube, yes, right, and YouTube. So there, you know. So and then, and then I think in that case, Google Hangouts is out for some. But you know, I don't see that necessarily across cultures as much as I see that in individual companies. Okay, that a company security or their IT department has banned the use of, you know, video conferencing tools or using instant messaging tools in the name of security, mm -hmm. and that I see as a as a bigger issue than across countries actually. Okay, so you you couldn't pinpoint um, a certain reluctance, or I mean, on a cultural basis, you'd say it's more of an organizational basis. That's been my experience. I think yeah. you know there are some cultures that are less interested in using the video, but I, to be honest, I I think that's it. wasn't a cultural thing; it was more an individual mm -hmm. choice yeah. that they're uncomfortable with video. Okay. For Fair example, enough. but you know, I've been this year. I went to 13 different countries, including Brazil and Vietnam and uh, Greece, and you know, all over that that were very different and unique for me because I'd never been before. And it didn't seem when I got, went to these people's offices and I saw how they were working, it didn't seem different to me. Uh, it seemed like they were all using the same sorts of tools, working in an agile way with technology and they were all working globally with different teams and struggling mm -hmm. you know with the same global troubles that most teams struggle with yeah yeah makes good sense what are the biggest biggest troubles that or problems that that virtual teams face i would say uh having high bandwidth conversations you know when we're co-located we can just talk to each other yeah. but when we're remote it's really a problem uh, in many for instance vietnam the internet connection in the entire country is unstable and mm. not great mm -hmm. it's just not great so for them that's a huge barrier to working on global teams because if you don't have a good internet connection everything breaks down and that's sort of the vulnerability of remote work is yeah. You just don't have that. But a lot, most teams that I work with, they really struggle in terms of how do they have high bandwidth conversation. And I don't mean high bandwidth internet, high bandwidth. I mean where they can actually easily talk and communicate with each other when they need to. Yeah. So, make, and make, they, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was gonna. I was gonna move on to the other thing. So. Yeah. yeah go, <laughs> fine, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Um, building a sense of team yeah. uh, on virtual teams, that, that seems to be the other thing that people are struggling with. So having, you know, first is having high bandwidth conversations, actually talking with each other. And the second is how do you 
create that sense of team that you have when you work together in an office. That's what airlines want you to do. They want you to come together because they don't want you to work remotely. <laughs> it's true. I'm, I'm not. I'm not joking. I mean, I've I've, I've worked for an airline, and, and one of the biggest struggles is is fighting the argument. Like, you, we can do video conferencing. We don't need to need to be next to each other in order to work together. And that's exactly what you're promoting. That's exactly what an airline doesn't want you to do. I, I mean, t- you know, last night I participated in a panel discussion mm-hmm. with five other people in Las Vegas, all via these uh, these robots called Kubis, yeah. where basically we each beamed into our own Kubi, mm-hmm. which we can move ourselves so I can look to my left and right and see who's around and, and talk to those people that are there. And five of us had a panel discussion about remote work in a room in Las Vegas, and we were from all over the world. And that kind of thing, had we had to bring everybody together, the cost and the time would have been enormous to get all of us together in the same place. And instead, you know, for an hour and a half, we had a great discussion from the comforts of our own home. Yeah. In front of an audience in Vegas. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I think. I mean, look at us. We're doing the same thing as well. Although we're not that far apart, it's, uh, it's still, it's really easy to, to get connected um, through all kinds of channels as well. Um, yeah. So that was the, the, the. Any other big thing? The last big thing that that is in the way, or that that virtual teams are struggling with? Time zones. Yeah. I, it sounds yeah. so easy. It's all just basic math, but the time zones is a huge challenge for every team I talk to. So it's either somebody's getting up late or staying up or uh, somebody's getting up early or staying up late. That's uh-huh. just always going to be that's the nature of the beast. But then also the time zones when they change every year for daylight savings, some time zones change, some don't. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the U.S. changes to daylight savings two weeks before Europe. Yeah. So that you know, so managing these kind of time zones across the world is just challenging. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, we I was part of a mastermind, um, and we would meet every week using Google Hangouts in this case, and uh, we were scattered through two in the U.S., two in Europe, and one in Australia. And we it was so difficult to match to find a moment where everybody would be awake. So one indeed had to get up really early, or one had to stay up late. So that wasn't um, that wasn't always easy. I can imagine, Lisette, that working with all this technology is more for startups than, than for if you want older companies. Is that true? Oh yeah, absolutely. And in fact, um, the banking industry is someplace where I see it right now. And a lot of people that take my workshops, which is surprising to me, but they're all they're bigger companies. Okay. They're they're from they're the global companies. You know, really big names. And I think it's interesting. I didn't expect it because I thought they've been working remotely for since. Since the beginning, you know, I mean, Siemens and and Volvo and all these people, you know, they've been global since the beginning. So what is it that they're struggling with? And actually what they're struggling with is that they have these startups coming along and taking small pieces of the, excuse me, of the business away piece Mm. by piece. Yes. And, you know, these large companies, they're not allowed to install these video tools and these instant messaging tools and some of the newer apps, you know, they're just not allowed to install it because of security. Mm-hmm. And to me, I've been really struggling with this because they come up to me after the workshop saying, yeah, this is all great. And all these tools and all the tips you're giving us, it's all great, but I can't use them at my company. So what do you and say then? I say you, uh, it's time to either break the rules or yeah. push back on your company policy because sooner or later, these startups are coming along and they'll take slices yeah. of the business away. It's just the nature. And you're seeing it in the banking industry now. Are they it's becoming really, dinosaurs like that? I think so. Yeah, eventually. 
I mean, it's just a matter of time. People are moving so fast, and you have kids that are really passionate about what they do, and they have a lot of energy and a lot of tools now. I mean, if you can work globally, you can find the people that are also interested in what you're interested in, and it's just you're up and running. It's true. Yeah, and at a very low cost as well. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, most of these tools are free, and it just takes time and energy. And it, you know, when you're 20 and 21, that's all you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah exactly. I was I was talking to uh, I'm working together with an intern who's uh, developing an, uh, a, a model for organizations for me as well. And um, I was explaining a couple of these these tools exactly like you were uh, mentioning Trello for one. And she's and uh, I said, "Do you need any help in explaining it? Uh, sh- should I help you out in explaining it?" She said, "No, no, no. I'll find YouTube, and then you know, I'll I'll YouTube it, totally. and then I'll." I'll I know how to do this, which is which is kind of cool because she's half my age. I mean, and um, I think I'm technically still uh, literate enough. I hope at least. What's what's the future with this uh, with this vir- virtual working? Is this is it big? What what's next? I mean, I know it's big. It's gonna grow. But what's after this? Boy, after virtual. I mean, the, to me, the future of work is virtual. It's just so powerful and so compelling. I mean, the fact that you can find the talent that you need anywhere in the, you know, you can find the best person for the job that's now no longer limited to the town that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, the, yeah, the future the, after virtual work, you know, there's some companies where it's just not appropriate for mm-hmm. them to work virtually. As but, an example? I mean, for any retail store where you have to go in, for example, you know, if you have to go into a physical place or, you know, there, there are still banks where you have to go physically into the bank to go do something yeah. or, you know, these kind of places. And there's also, you know, culturally, some companies just aren't a right fit mm. for going remote. If if your communication policies aren't are, – if people aren't very good at communicating while they're in person, if you go remote, you'll just amplify that problem. So mm. there's some companies that just shouldn't go remote because they don't have the right policies or processes in place yet in order to make that work. Mm. So I, I can definitely say that it's not for everybody, but to, to me, it's it's becoming more and more of a global world, and we're finding each other easier and easier. And people don't want to be tied down to a nine to five schedule anymore. I mean, it almost seems crazy to me that we make people drive to a place yeah. and sit there from nine to five. I mean, if I think about the way I work, and I know that some days are better than others for me. Some days I'm way more productive than others, and mm-hmm. some days, you know, I'm just you just got to call it a day yes. <laughs> in the middle of the day and say like, okay. Exactly. If I were working in an office, I would have to sit there and do something until that five o'clock time. And instead, what I do now is I go running, yeah. you know, for a couple of hours, and I come back and I try again. And it just seems crazy to me that we put people in these boxes yeah. and and say, okay, be productive. Because what I think we're doing is we're making it. We're sort of making it a, a mediocre for people. We're, we're we're normalizing everybody when we put them in the same place like that. Like you know, we're we're saying, okay, this productivity um, is going to be good for everybody. This atmosphere is going to be good for mm-hmm. everybody, and I think that's not the case. Yeah. Is it? Is my, it yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I'm a chronic interrupter. No, it's. I was, I, I was interrupting you. I'm sorry. <laughs> From my experience, when I worked in an open office, I, I was miserable mm. working in an open office. I'm highly sensitive. I get really overstimulated by lots of people being around. And so mm-hmm. by the end of the day, I was exhausted, mm. absolutely exhausted. And I would just come home and want to do nothing. And so for me, working in sort of an office setting is very, it can be very unproductive. Yes. Yeah, I can imagine. I was just, I was actually going to ask the same thing. I was, my question would be, or would have been, um, when you walk into a big corporate office, what do you think? What do you see? And then you just answer that question. So. 
Yeah, I'll say it. When I have a I have a name for it. I call them day prisons. <laughs> day prisons. Yeah, but I'm so biased. You know, I'm okay. I'm so biased for remote working. I'm yeah, such yeah, an understand. enthusiast. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, you could call them suppressed as well. <laughs> the, suppre- the, the suppressed it's another book <laughs> who knows um, one, one last topic if that's okay with you you talk about letting virtual teams work together um, I think there's also a, a, a one-on-one situation whereby uh, one-man companies can work with a virtual assistant that could be in India or the Philippines which are the, the biggest uh, providers I think of, uh, of virtual assistants is there any difference there in terms of co- uh, collaborating and working together between uh, well, between bigger teams, if you have like um, I don't know, like a Facebook developing group or something that is working worldwide, as opposed to um, say if you are you are your own company, Lisette, and you work with a VA from the Philippines, do you, would you operate differently? Would you approach it differently? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and that's why I think creating the team agreement is yeah. so important because, I mean, as a freelancer, I work with lots of different people on lots of different projects. And uh, so I would say I have a number of different team agreements set up based on the project that I'm working on. So for Happy Melly, I have a team agreement on how we work together. Mm-hmm. And then for the other projects that I have, I also have a team agreement. And so, uh, of, you know, okay. so it's different. And I just manage these different team agreements. Okay. All right, fair enough. Um, if you this the question I always end, end with the two questions I always end with. Can you give us three tips to become more culturally competent? Three tips from your for, own experience, of course. So one is for me, culture really just equals um, what is normal behavior to me. So yeah. culture, you know, we talk about behaviors and how we make decisions. So with becoming culturally competent, I would say slow down and ask, you know, what else do I not know? And it's really hard because sometimes we don't know what we don't know. Exactly. That's a blind spot. So it's a total blind spot and we just have to be patient, but asking lots of questions. So one, uh, so maybe part of these tips would be uh, if you're working on a virtual team, create a holiday calendar and have all the different holidays from the different cultures on that calendar. Because not only does it give you a sense of when your colleagues are going to be around or not, mm-hmm. but it also gives you an opportunity to learn about the holidays of a different culture, which gives you lots of insight into the culture, yeah. in fact, because holidays are all about culture. Yes. So that's um, that's a great tip as you create a holiday calendar, ask lots of questions. And another way of getting to know your colleagues in a more well-rounded way is a practice from Jürgen Apollo that I really like called personal maps. Personal and that is maps. where, yeah, it's called personal maps. So you yeah. put your name in the center of a page. You can draw it. Uh, most most people do it hand drawn, and then around your name you put work, goals, values, family. You know any of the categories that you want, and then you basically draw a map of all these different pieces of you. And with personal maps, what we do, the important part is to not. Um, explain your own personal map, but rather you hold up your personal map on a video if you're mm-hmm. working with a virtual team yeah. and your colleagues ask questions about you. Okay. So they say, oh, tell me about, you know, I see your family has, you know, uh, your, your family in three different countries. Tell me about that. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't become a presentation. It's more of an interactive conversation right. where yeah. you're learning about your colleague. And I found the personal maps, you know, it's a really simple exercise. It takes five minutes for everybody to draw their own and you learn a lot about yeah. each other. And it's a more well-rounded um, way than if you're just working together. Because generally, if we're working together, especially on a virtual team, it tends to be, you know, you start the meeting, you've got your list of topics, you get in and out, and 
there's not a lot of chit chat uh-huh. usually. And so yeah. personal maps gives you sort of that opportunity for chit chat. Yeah. And for team. And building. then I would say, yeah. Yeah, absolutely for team yeah. building. And then I would say for the last one, in terms of getting to know each other, one thing that I really enjoy uh, on the teams that I work with is we have virtual coffee um, or we call it kitten talk on the happy Melly team regularly. And what the, all that is, is it's a time every week where we meet. It's not, obligatory you don't have to go but it's just a time to just get online and just talk not about work not about anything no agenda we just hang out yeah and it's weird at first because it's just like okay now what do we do like we're all here (laughs) (laughs) it takes some time to get used to but after a while you know you just get on and there's always something to talk about somebody's always going through something kitty talk you said i call it kitty talk Uh, the way that that happened was um, we were having a team meeting one day yeah. and I was on early. I'm always very, er- I always log on early. It's That's your ger- my- German, uh, your yeah, German exactly. starting point. I, think, <laughs> I really is. <laughs> so I always log on early and I, I tried to tempt the rest of the team to come on early with me. And I, so I tempted them with kittens. I said, I am, I'm on early and I'm looking at kittens. So anybody that wants to join me. And it turns out that our accountant, who is a very strict numbers German woman, in mm-hmm. fact, um, logged on immediately and said, kittens? Did somebody say kittens? Hmm. And in that moment, I knew that I'd found the soft spot to her heart. You know, yeah. the, this woman that was really the, you know, zeros and ones, like she's yes. very exact, you yeah. know, but she loves kittens. And we, we really bonded over that. And That's then good. thus our weekly meetings became Kitten Talk. Kitten Talk. Okay, excellent. Really nice exa- examples of, uh, of how to become more culturally competent if you're working virtually across the globe, that is. Lisette, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Everything is at collaborationsuperpowers.com. And I'm a big fan of Twitter. Uh, so my Twitter handle is at lightling, L-I-G-H-T-L-I-N-G. Okay. That'll be in the show notes of the Culture Matters website. Just click on the podcast tab and you'll find all the podcasts, including this one. Lisette has been um, Sutherland. Never pronounce your last name. Uh, so <laughs> that's correct yeah that's Sutherland <laughs> yeah, exactly so thank you very much for coming online and um, having this chat about virtual teams another addition in terms of making culture matter or at least having a view different view on different cultures and how people do collaborate together the future we just had a glimpse of the future I think with this thanks again I'm pretty sure that we'll talk to each other in the future I hope so take care then okay bye Thanks, Lisette, again, for sharing the information you just did with us. It's the end of the Culture Matters podcast. If you like what I do, why don't you share that on either the website by going to culturematters.com, click on the podcast tab and leave your comments there as you can, or otherwise go to iTunes and leave a review and or a rating. I'd really appreciate that. And I know that if you're listening in the car or mowing the lawn or on your jog, you have to get all home all the way and then do what I've just asked you. But really, just keep your fingers crossed until you reach that moment that you are in front of a computer and that you can do that. So um, I'd really appreciate that. Thank you so much. I'll be back in two weeks' time with another interview. Talk to you then. Bye. That's it for this episode. The Culture Matters Podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.